Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to the City Light Church podcast. We're so honored you've joined us. We hope that today's podcast brings you hope, encouragement, and most of all, adds value to you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We long to see people grow from where they are closer to where God desires them to be, and it's our hope that this podcast is an essential element in that process for you. So grab a pen, your Bible, and a journal, and let's dive into today's message. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Woo, feels good in the house. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for being here today. What an amazing nine o'clock overachieving crowd you are. Amen. You got up early, cleaned up nicely, you came to worship. You got a full day ahead of you. No doubt the crock pots are working. Amen. That's right. Praise God. And we'll be home, and our family will be gathered together. It'll be a beautiful, beautiful day. If you're traveling in town with your family, welcome to City Light Church. Welcome to those of you online. My name is Ken, lead pastor here at the church. Thank you so much for serving and giving. What you guys have been doing over the last few years has been incredible. We celebrated this last week, nearly half a million dollars in missions locally and to Israel over the last seven years. Amen. Amen corporate chaplaincy program that you guys helped spearhead putting pastors out of the church and into the community. That's, that's actually good, right? When you get pastors out of the box and you get them in the community, they come alive. And uh, it's what happens with nurses when you untether them from computers and put them at bedsides and get doctors away from um, books and charts and you get them next to patients. That's what they went to med school for is to touch people's lives, right? And that's what happens with pastors. In fact, that's really what happens with us as believers and followers of Christ when we leave the church and we get into community and we just let Christ shine in our life. Amen. 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 My name is Ken again on behalf of all of our pastoral team. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for streaming online. We've been in a series called The Journey. And, and, and you know, when I started this, there was this uh, expectation that over the next three or four weeks, we would conclude it and then come into Resurrection Sunday. But it just unfolded as I was writing it. And this week was really cool how it lined up. And I thought, well, my goodness, there's no real reason to stop. And let's just carry on this. If you made it through last week, our home folks, it was a, it was the week of covenant and it was, it was a hard, hard week. I mean, that whole thing of covenant, uh, where Abraham is cutting covenant, man, it was, a, it was a tough week. And that, that fact that you came back means that you love Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So this journey that, that Abraham is on, um, we actually see types and shadows in the Old Testament to the New Testament. What we've been doing is following his life, and we've been looking at the correlation of his life and, and how it so mirrors the Christian life. In fact, you can go back and watch all of these on uh, our YouTube channel, but I'll just briefly tell you that Abram was in a foreign land, and God called him and said, hey, take a journey with me. And there's this beginning where God does this in the believer's life, where you feel him call you, where you hear him speak to your spirit, to your voice, and you don't really know what it is or who it is and how it is, but you, you've been in this, this nation of America. It's a, a Christian nation, if you will, founded on Christian principles, regardless of what you hear on television. By the way, I'm not a very political preacher, um, politically correct, that is. I will preach about politics every now and then. <laughs> Only because they get into the Bible and then they're fair game. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so anyway, Abraham is called by God like we are. We hear his voice. We begin to follow him. 
And, and God leads him into this place called Canaan, it's modern day Israel, and um, there's a famine in the land. And that's so like when we begin to follow the Lord, it just, sometimes it leads to difficult times and it drove him into Egypt where he was to find resources. But there he was confronted with the issues in his heart, in his life. We talked about some of the evidence of fear in his life. And it's so like the Christian life that when we start following Christ, that he puts us in places where the things that are broken on the inside of us begin to be revealed. And so just, just so you know, I'm one of those real preachers, all right? So I'm not going to fake it till I make it. There's brokenness in me. There's brokenness in my wife. There's brokenness in our family. There's brokenness in our cousins. There's brokenness in you. There's brokenness in your family. There's brokenness in the body of Christ. There is something in us that is not like Christ. That's why he came to heal us and to establish his kingdom inside of us until the fulfillment of his kingdom when he literally comes back to earth and makes all things new again. And so Abraham goes to this place, is Abram at this time, he goes to this place and he is confronted with this issue and then goes into battles where the very weaknesses become his strengths. After that, you see a time of blessing. You just start recognizing, wow, God's really blessed my life. And, and we recognize that in Abraham began to bless Melchizedek. And so when he does this, it's a type and shadow of how we recognize God's blessings in our life. And then we give back to him blessings from our life, whether that's in the New Testament time and modern day, we talk about our time, our treasures, our talents. And we begin to bless those around us. We begin to bless the church. We begin to bless people. With out of our abundance, we give. And we see that happening in his life. And then he goes into this place and he realizes that God is making a covenant with him. Now, this covenant, uh, it, it is not, um, it is not uh, something that modern day um, really embraces because it is a literal sacrifice of animals. So Peter gets upset when you start preaching this way, right? But it's, it's this bloody gospel picture. It's something had to die for this covenant. And God gives this to Abram, and, 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 and it's a type and shadow of what is to come. It's just these pictures, but it really is a shadow of the sacrificial lamb and, and Christ who was sacrificed for our sins. He was the ultimate lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And it's interesting as we study um, as we study the, the scriptures and from our, our Jewish roots, because Christianity is a Judeo root, it comes out of the Old Testament, it comes out of Judea, uh, the Jewish um, orthodoxy and the, the Torah and, and now the Mishnah and all that stuff, but it branched out and Paul takes this and says we've been grafted in, like, like they didn't lose their position. I'm not into replacement theology, if some of you know what that is, that's, we don't buy into that. The church hasn't replaced Israel, we've been grafted in, the scriptures are real clear. And so it's out of these roots we find our origins, we find our being. And so Abraham is this type and shadow, and Jesus is sacrificed as a covenant. He actually has this meal 
before the crucifixion called the Passover meal, which he said, I long to eat with you. And he establishes these cups and this new covenant. And it, and it is the bread which was his broken body and the cup, the, the, the juice, which wine, which was his shedding of blood. In fact, during worship, I see you guys go back at these stations and receive communion. We do that a lot of times at our prayer time in the mornings at 9.15 on Sunday. We take communion together and what have you. It's celebrating this covenant, this shedding of blood. It's just, it's just all through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals as a covering for sin. But it didn't do away with it. It only pushed the sin back for a year. And once a year, the high priest would go into the temple and he would offer blood on the altar for the sins of the nation. And that would, that would push the sins back for one year. Every year this had to happen until you get to Jesus. When no longer at this period do we ever see that sacrifice in the temple again. The altar is gone. Jesus has ripped the veil. It has, it has released God to encounter people like never before. This new covenant, this cutting of blood, this cutting that Abram experiences actually takes place. After this covenant, there is another deeper call to follow. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because... When we come in to understand this, that God has cut covenant with us, that he by his own self, because we were not able to keep covenant, he did that for us. Christ on Calvary was that covenant that was established. When we get a hold of that covenant, it changes our existence and we begin to walk in heavenly realms. We begin to walk with minds and spirits that commune with God like in a deeper way. This is the progression of a Christian life, is that we get to a place where we actually hear God and, and recognize his voice. And that's actually where we're at today. When we look at this story of Abram, he's hearing God. Now, what you and I would look on the surface, we'd say he's senile, he's schizophrenic, there's something wrong with this dude, and, and we need help, right? We need Prozac in the worst way for this guy. But this is actually what's going on. In Genesis 22, after verse 1, after these things, God tested Abram and said to Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Hinani is that Jewish word there. Here am I. Take your son, God said to him, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now stop. If somebody tells you they've heard God say, take your son, your only son, right? You're thinking you did not hear God. This is an incredible time in scripture. And you and I should not play church and act like we, we get it. Like we don't get that. It does not make sense. It doesn't make sense for Abraham to hear it. It doesn't make sense for God to say it. None of that makes sense. And can I tell you that makes perfect sense? That is God. Like so many times in our life, we get to this point and encounter him and we go, this doesn't make any sense. I can tell you I have a lifetime of hearing God tell me things that doesn't make 
sense. I'm a very analytical, line-upon-line individual, and I promise you, my wife says all the time, God is not like you. He doesn't always think like you. How can this be? It is, though. (laughs) Scripture declares in verse 3, so Abram got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. These are Um, In this day, they would call them servants. In our day, we would call them hired hands or employees. Nonetheless, he split wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to a place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to the young men, "Stay stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. And then... We'll come back to you. Now, I'm just telling you, can I just, like, nerd out for a minute? Like, the scripture, like, it just, ah, uh, it's so good. We just, we just blaze over stuff, and I'm sitting here just having a ball reading it, because I just, I just see this stuff. Like, then Abraham said to the young man, stay here, watch this, with the donkey. The donkey's carrying Isaac, the wood. We, we miss that, right? Like, this donkey is significance in Scripture. I don't, know, I don't know how we get all this, but Mary rides a donkey in as she delivers the Messiah. Jesus rides the donkey in as he goes to Calvary. Abram, Abraham is riding... Oh, oh, forget it. Keep going, Pastor. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Do you see Jesus? God took the cross and he laid it on his son, Yeshua. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife. The two of them walked on together. The fire is a representation of of the Holy Spirit. The knife is a representation of the sword or the word of God. He takes this and he goes. And Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, my father, and he replied, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. This story is so crazy good. Because what we see in it is a type and shadow of Jesus who is to come. And how he will take his son, his only son. The spotless lamb of God. The one without sin. The one without blemish. And he will lay upon him the sins of all humanity. Past, present, and future. And there on Calvary, he will shed his blood. And I'm going to tell you, I believe under investigation, when Caiaphas in the, in the, if you will, the temple begins to investigate in front of the Sanhedrin, and they pull his beard and they begin to attack him there, I believe that when the first drop of blood hit the floor, that all of hell began to shake. But it wasn't that. He took the beating in Caiaphas. He took the mocking in Pilate's hall. He took the ridicule 
of King Herod, and then back to Pilate, and then to the scourging, to the Roman guards. I, I believe this: the Roman guards were given the command to whip him, unlike those normally who were uh, crucified, because crucifixion was a slow, agonizing death that was meant to mock an individual and portray them before the public to say, you don't want to be like this guy, so he would linger on the cross for days. And while his body loses the ability to push itself up and gasp for breath, for days this would go on, but not Jesus. Because I believe Pilate actually thought, if I have him whipped hard enough, that they'll accept this. And they did not because the exception wasn't one drop. It wasn't one beating. It was a life to be shed. And Jesus goes to that cross and he surrenders his will and his life. And God redeems this. And Abram is on this mountain. He has Isaac there. And at the last minute, the story goes that an angel stops him. And a lamb is provided. A ram in the thicket, as it says, the scripture, is provided. And we see this picture and we say, how does this then look like my life? How do I correlate Abraham's life and my life at this point? And there's only one explanation. And that is that we ourselves must embrace the crucifixion. Yet of Jesus and of our own life. Because it is the image of our Savior. Jesus said these powerful words, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. Are you following Christ? I mean, he, he just basically lays it out like this. My sheep hear my voice. And here's this, this beautiful word, gnosko, this Greek word, and I know them. It's a, it's a, it's a, intimate word. I know them. I know their heart. They hear my voice and I know them. And watch this. And they follow me. And they follow me. I, I think it's really Western culture. Can I be a pastor for a moment? I mean, if you want a pretty little Easter message, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm being eat up by this one. I, I just think that in our Western culture, what we want is an image of something grand, but we don't want to go through the work and the toil and the shedding of blood and the shedding of tears to get what that image actually is. We want things before we've earned them. Come on, I, I grew up and my mom and dad had a car, two cars, and had a house with furniture, and they had a big yard and, and an extra lot with woods and, and just, I mean, just all this stuff as a boy I'm growing up. When I got married, I'm thinking, okay, I need, I need a house with a lot, with some woods and some land, and I need two cars, and I need a dog, and I need furniture, and I need all this. But you know the problem? I didn't have the resources for all of that. But, but the God of Visa makes all things possible. Amen, somebody. The problem is I had not an appreciation for those things because I had not worked for those things. 
And we in the West, I'm, I'm slipping into preach, I'm sorry here. We in the West want an image of God, but we don't want to suffer with God. That part, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't match up with my prosperity gospel. I, I just need to name it and claim it and then uh, blab it and grab it and, and go, amen. That's what kind of Jesus I want, a crystal ball Jesus. Rub the ball, you know, tell me my fortune today, Jesus. Make everything good. Come on, I want to trade in my VW for a Mercedes today at no right, easy payments, 1995 for the next 1,000 years. <laughs> you too. I want it all easy. Well... There's a part of this message that says, I've got to follow Jesus regardless of where he goes. And, and, and I don't know that we really want to embrace that Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. When's the last time you heard his voice? What did he say? I mean, if you're going, well... Uh, I don't know that you're listening. I'm not saying you're not a sheep, but I'm saying maybe you're not listening. My sheep hear my voice. When you heard him, did you obey him? Because he may be waiting to speak for you to go back and do what he's already asked you to do. You say, he doesn't speak to me. Maybe he did. Maybe you just don't listen. Maybe he said, go to the mountain and sacrifice your son, your only son. One of those tough, crazy things that doesn't make sense. Well, this can't be God. It doesn't make any sense. As though God makes sense. His ways, Isaiah said, are higher than your ways. As heavens are above the seas and the earth, so are God's ways above your ways. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't make sense because he's not a sense-making God. He's a spirit. He is God. How many of you know God cannot lie? You know the scriptures say he can't lie. We use this example, these, these kind of grayish chairs, the lights are kind of low. We need to change the carpet. We don't want y'all to see that, so we keep the lights low. <laughs> they're gray, take my word for it. They're kind of blackish gray. But listen, listen, listen. If God wa walks in this place today and God says, hey, these chairs, they're purple. You go, hmm, my God, are you colorblind? No, you don't say that. You know why? Because the next time you glance at the chairs, they're purple. Why? Because God cannot lie when he declares that it is so. When God says do something, you don't debate him. Amen? Amen. So, um, I heard his voice was sitting in that Bob Evans right here um, with my wife. We were sitting, uh, sitting across from each other and we were eating breakfast and I, I looked to my right, and there was a lady at the table because I heard the Lord say, buy her meal. And so I looked, and she's sitting, an older lady sitting right here to my right. And I looked back at my meal, and I looked up, and I saw my, my wife's head move down and back up at me. And Paula says, did you just hear the Lord? And I said, na, 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 na. <laughs> I said, yes. And she said, he said, buy her meal, didn't he? And I said, yeah. And she said, yeah, he said that to me too. Now that's called hearing God. That's what we would call rhema or spoken, kind of a, a spoken word to your spirit. 
where you, you hear something. When we moved to Ocala years ago, my wife heard the Lord say, do such and such. And I didn't hear the Lord, but because I had learned that God gave me a good thing and that part of the good thing is in our marriage, Paula hears and she's much more sensitive to hear those right now words before I do. A lot of times they'll resonate with me, but I didn't get it initially. And sometimes it happens with me. It's called a rhema word. We hear God like, like that's really cool when some things like that happen. It doesn't happen every day. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. It's kind of weird, but I've learned that's the way God does things. And then there's something called the Logos word. This is actually what scripture is. It's the Logos word. My sheep hear my voice. So when you're doing a devotion, when you're reading the, the scriptures and you, you see yourself in scripture and you see Jesus forgiving and you see Jesus full of empathy and full of compassion and you are then filled or hear the Lord saying, I want you to have compassion on those that are hurting. I want you to have empathy for those who have fallen and messed up. You know, you start going, well, no, I like judgment. But, but you, you, you didn't hear that. You heard Jesus say, I want you to have empathy. So this is the Logos word. So you begin to build your hearing on this. This is the foundation. See, there's a... Oh, here I go. See, there's a problem in our world today. And that is that we have a concept of culture that tries to trump what God is saying. So when culture says that sex between... A, oh, here I go. When culture says one thing, but God's word says something different, this is what you hear and follow, not culture. Yes. Yes. Only if you're listening. Only if you want to follow. That's it. That I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying it's, it's right for you and wrong for you. I'm saying, listen, if you want to hear the Father speak and you want to follow Him, He is speaking first and foremost through the Scriptures today. And you can sit there and tell me, well, then why do you preachers all disagree on all kinds of subjects? And I can simply say, listen, if you study the Word long enough, you'll have plenty of places where you will see Scripture in different lights. I've gotten in debates, only, only pastors can do this. I've gotten in debates with whether Mary's crying at the foot of the cross because her son Jesus has been crucified or it's the Savior of the world being crucified. Now, if you want to waste time, hang out with pastors as we have these theological debates. <laughs> it's a great way to waste time. Does it matter? No. Who's right? Yes. Well, well that doesn't make sense. Again, it's God, all right? So don't ask me for an explanation. Who's right? We both are. We just see it in different lights. There's a lot of scripture this way. But then there are biblical foundations that are not debatable that we do not waffle on. Jesus, not me, regardless of what one world religion and the, and the Pope wanting to bring everybody together and all these, all these players on the stage, they want to bring all the religion together. Listen, it's not me. My king said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. Hey, take it up with him. Don't, don't get mad at me. I just heard, based on the Logos, I heard him say he was the way, the truth, and the life. I'm trying to tell you that you don't have to wonder what your theology stance is by listening to what Hollywood and the culture says. You just open the Bible and hear the Father speak to you. 
biblical illiteracy in America is at an all-time high. Why? Because we only get about 25 minutes of word a week, and that's mainly in a message like this, that so many times I'm unable to even build the concept. I said this last week. This is a great example, how I get feedback through the week and questions because I, I don't have enough time to really build a, a large foundation. So I said this um, Jesus, uh, heaven is coming to earth. And so there's this thing called kingdom um, now theology. Well, really what's going to happen is in the timeline is Christ is coming back to catch the saints away at the end of the tribulation period. At some point, Christ comes back. He sets up his dominion on earth for a thousand years. It's called the thousand year millennial reign. After that season, there's a short period. And then after that point, we come, heaven comes back to earth, the firmament, and all this is done away with. And we live in eternity in this new creation in heaven. So the concept of somebody saying, we're not going to heaven, but heaven's coming to earth is correct. But the concept when somebody else says, we're not staying here, we're going to heaven is correct. It's just a matter of the timeline. And until you understand the full timeline of theology, that's why we sit around in Christendom and debate and argue over these things. Most of the time is that we just don't understand the other person's perspective. But when you understand God's perspective, then it doesn't really matter what man disagrees with you. Does that make sense? So it doesn't matter that culture disagrees with what I may say here. It only matters if God agrees with it. And the first place you hear him is the scriptures. And if you're not in the scriptures, you may not be accurately hearing him. And if you're not accurately hearing him, then you may not be accurately following him. And if you're not following him, I promise you he wants you to. And I promise you, if you follow him, it will lead you to a cross. Paul said it like this, Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's no longer Christ, or it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ in me. In the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said in Galatians 5, 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. This type and shadow of Isaac carrying his cross, Jesus carrying his cross, has now been transferred to the followers of Christ. And like our king, we must carry our cross. Not as a punishment, but as a reward because it's the work of carrying the cross that makes the redemption of all that is broken in my life sustainable. It was the ability to go out and earn an income and then pay cash for the couch that actually made that rewarding to sit on the couch, not just have the couch as a young man. Do you get that picture? In Christendom, we have to understand that the cross is part of purging out of us the stuff we don't really want and that is actually taking away the life we actually desire. When Paul talks about this, it is part and parcel to the believer's life that we carry this cross and that we ourselves crucify the flesh. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The cross is not a punishment for us. It's a place of obedience. Like Isaac, willingly, we think this young man was old enough <laughs> to wrestle his elderly father and come down off that, uh, that mountain. But the Jewish uh, rabbis would teach that Isaac actually says to Abraham, his dad, bind me tightly, father. Lest when I'm sacrificed, I fall and I break a bone and no longer become, what they would call it, kosher, perfect. Jesus was crucified without a bone being broken. The similarities through scripture are amazing. We ourselves need to pray this prayer. God, bind us in such a way that we don't struggle at the sacrifice. But that we would willingly surrender our life. And I got to be honest with you. I'm preaching like that is somehow obtainable and it makes sense. It makes no sense. And in ourself, it's unattainable. But we need the father. Like Isaac had his father walk with him. Jesus had his father walk with him. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with us as we carry a cross, follow our Savior, sacrifice our life, give our, our monies, give our serve and our time, give ourselves away and stay in the moment when pain is racking your emotions and your your body and you hate your life and you hate what's going on around you and you even hate society and you're saying God where are you stay on the cross I promise you this he is purging out all of that stuff that says self needs something self desires something and he's saying that's not what you need you need sacrifice and when you totally embrace it you will arise off of that cross and willingly lay down your life and find fulfillment for the first time of your life and husbands will lead like never before. And wives will lead like never before. They'll raise their babies and never think again about themselves. Men will gladly give up bowling and golf and fishing and hunting for a moment in time to raise those little babies. We will say, I will give up a Saturday and go work on someone's house. We'll gladly write a check and fund missions. We'll gladly turn the other cheek. We'll gladly hold our quiet self when our spouse is making accusations. We'll gladly turn from the one who's criticizing us because we believe in the flood and we believe in the scriptures and we believe in the resurrection. We'll gladly and humbly submit ourselves when we have carried the cross. message is actually a message of hope Paul says in Romans 6 for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin <laughs> watch this might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin now if we died with Christ we believe that we will also live with him Paul in this brilliant letter makes this caption I love we are no longer enslaved to sin how for we know that our old self was crucified 
If you're following Jesus today, I promise you, he's going to take you to a cross. And I'll promise you this, that at one moment you may look at that cross and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus died for all of my sins. He did. The cross isn't for your sins. He paid the price for your sins. The cross is for your healing. It's to sacrifice the flesh. It's to sacrifice that voice inside that says, you deserve better. It's to sacrifice that voice inside that says, if you just leave her, there's a better one down the street. It's to sacrifice yourself for coworkers, for neighbors. And at the end of the day, it's to represent an image before the Father that you, like your King, willingly lay down your life. problem with Christianity today in Western culture is that we still think there's something we can do. Um, every world religion has this in common. You do X and gain Y. If you do work, you gain salvation. If you can do something, you're worthy of salvation. Every world religion has this. But it is diametrically opposed to the message of Christianity. That actually says, you do nothing, you get salvation. Two thieves on the cross beside Jesus. One of them dog cussing Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're the Messiah, right, 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 right. Take yourself down. Come on, call heaven down. Do something. You know? Make it happen. The other one. Dog cuss the first one. Shut your mouth. If I could come over there, I'd slap it shut for you. And he turns to Jesus, he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. A moment in time where he acknowledged. Fast forward just a few minutes standing before the gates of heaven the angels are there here comes this thief they're like not gonna happen not gonna happen you're in the wrong place buddy he says no no I'm in the right place I don't think so so the angels call Peter and Paul Peter and Paul shows up and they go yeah bro you missed a turn somewhere we've been looking over your life you certainly aren't worthy here what did you do that makes you think you were worthy here? I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, you lived a life of self. You stole for yourself. Greedy for yourself. Lived for yourself. Everything was for you. And you come to heaven and you want to be here. What makes you think you can come into heaven? And the man says one thing. Jesus said... I could come in. That is the nutshell of the gospel. You will not make it in because you did anything 
or knew someone or signed a card or got baptized or did something else, you will get in because Jesus said you can come in. And the moment you think that there is something you can do, you have slipped into humanism and some other religion. There is nothing you can do. You must willingly lay down and receive everything. Do you want to follow? He's saying today, I'm calling you to a place of following, a place of hearing, a place that you can encounter me like never before. That's before you. Would you stand, please? Amen. Well, we hope that this message has brought you hope and encouragement, and it was just what you needed for today. If you're joining us today and we can partner with you in prayer in any way, it would be our honor. Please reach out to us by visiting our website, mycitylight.org. And lastly, if the Holy Spirit has laid it on your heart to give today, you can do that by visiting mycitylight.org and go to the giving tab or text any amount to 84321. Be blessed.